Hello, everybody, here in person and online. Great to be with you all today. My name is Cy Huffer. I'm the lead minister here at College Heights. And a little bit of family business real quick. When I first came here four years ago, which is crazy to say it's been four years, um, uh, they, uh, the staff approached me with this concept, and the elders did up a teaching team where I would be working with Mark Scott and Shane Wood, two professors from Ozark Christian College, who would give uh, some time uh, on the side to help preach um, throughout the year. And man, that was a two-year agreement. And we, were, uh, we committed to evaluating every year to consider whether to extend it or not if it works still for their schedule and their family and their ministry, which is primarily at Ozark and for us. And uh, that agreement from two years extended into four years. And it's been such a blessing to have Mark and Shane with us. And this May, Shane and Sarah Wood actually approached us and just said that they felt like in the season of life that they are in with their ministry and their family, a lot of transitions that were happening in their lives, that they were going to take a step away from the teaching team um, for the foreseeable future. And so anyway, we have been so grateful to have them as part of our teaching team, and um, we invited them to come. We said, we want to honor you and say thank you to you for all of the years that you have served. And we invited them to come up on stage and kind of do a, 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 just a thank you and appreciation, and they said, you know what, that doesn't just sit well with us. That just feels weird. Um, we don't think we would want to be able to be honored that way, and so we asked them, well, how can we honor you? How can we say thank you to you? And they said, you know what, if you would just email us a message um, just saying thanks, or write a handwritten note and put it in one of those envelopes and send it uh, through the mail to this address. I'll put them both on the screen, the email address and the address that you can mail. Just a handwritten note to just saying thank you. Um, congregation, let me ask you, will you please do this? Um, we wanted as a leadership to show them our appreciation and our honor. So would you take the time this week just to say thanks to Shane um, for his last four years of ministry um, this week? So please do that. Um, that means that there's a little bit of a transition with our teaching team. Um, leave that up there on the screen so people can take a picture of that. And can we just take a moment just to give them a round of applause for all they've done? Thank you. Take a picture, send a message, please, this week. Um, that means our teaching team, team is changing a little bit, and we are going to be launching a midweek service this fall, and that got postponed. We don't know what that's going to look like with the pandemic and, and how that looks like to launch, and that was going to change our teaching team a little bit anyway. And so we are navigating that, and we went ahead and asked uh, Taylor Brown, who preached last week, if he would help us out for the next six months. And he said he would. So that's awesome. So you'll be seeing a lot more of Taylor this fall. Mark is still in the saddle, and so a lot of our ministers will hop in there and everywhere. So um, anyway, thank you all for just your flexibility, knowing all the transition changes, that we continue to be faithful to the mission that God has given us as a church, and that is to make disciples of Jesus who changed the world. And that's what this series is about, this Pray for One series that we're in, is that no matter what we're doing, we as Christians know that we are called to be disciples of Jesus. If you're new to church, new to Christianity, a disciple is someone who follows Jesus, who's being changed by Jesus, and who's on mission with Jesus. And what Christians do all throughout the world, every Sunday they gather together to remember that Jesus rose from the dead, and they study the Bible, this thing, the scriptures, this thing called the Bible, God's word. And we take stories and passages and, and, and texts from this Bible and we say, okay, Lord, what does it mean for us learning from this for me today to follow Jesus, to be changed by him, and to get on mission with him? And that's what we do day after day, week after week, year after year. And that's what this series is all about. We're taking this moment in the life of Jesus in Matthew chapter 9, and we're just digging into it. We're saying, how does this passage, this moment, this event in the life of Jesus impact our lives Today, like how do we adjust our reality around this event as Jesus was discipling these 12 ordinary, imperfect, 
messed up, jacked up people. And so this passage we've been studying is Matthew 9, 35 to 38. We're gonna put it on the screen here. And it goes something along the lines of this. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, right? Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So Jesus then said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers, they're few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. This is what we've been walking through. It starts off with pray before you hit the floor. Pray to have eyes to see the world the way Jesus does for those divine appointments that he schedules each and every day. To pray today and prepare to share your brokenness, your, the reality that you've been harassed and helpless. How do you share that with others who are harassed and helpless? And last week we learned that, man, we just can't generate compassion on our own, but we gotta pray and ask God to give us the compassion of the Father to well up inside of us so that we can have, have compassion, his compassion on others. And today, I just want to focus in on these few words. It says this, the harvest is plentiful. The harvest is plentiful. When Jesus sees the crowds that harass and help us, that's the thing he thinks. Look at the harvest. It's plentiful. It's plentiful both in depth and in breadth. It's, it's plentiful in our own lives. Like a harvest is like this crop that's ready to be collected, right? This, there's a big, great opportunity full of problems, <laughs> <laughs> right? That, that's what the gospel is all about. The good news of Jesus is that the sin and rebellion and evil in this world, that he has the answer to that. And so where there's lots of sin, where there's lots of evil, where there's lots of injustice, that's a harvest ready for the gospel to come into the lives of people. And when you think about yourself individually, there's a lot of sin inside, Huffer. There's a lot of injustice and evil and rebellion. And for me to learn how to love my God with all my heart and soul and mind and strength and for that knowledge of the Lord to fill every square inch of my being, that's a bountiful harvest, ripe with opportunity for transformation. It's also a broad harvest. There's, there's a breadth to the harvest. Think about this. The, it's not just every individual that has a lot of issues, a lot of baggage, but it's every individual on the face of the planet like seven billion people. Talk about a bountiful harvest. With an hour drive of drop on 260,000 people that don't know Jesus. Every single one has the depth and then you add that onto the breadth of the harvest. And of that seven billion, two and a half billion have never even heard of Jesus. It's a bountiful harvest. And when you think about this harvest, it's just, it's massive. It's, it's, it seems like it's hostile in this culture that's post-modern, post-Christian. That it's a hard harvest. They don't even understand millennials, let alone Generation Z. Like, what does that mean for the gospel to take root in these new generations? And, and, it's, and it's humongous. It's huge. It's massive. It's just, it's, it's a colossal task to take the good news of Jesus to every square corner of the globe so that the knowledge of the Lord fills the whole earth, the whole earth, as the waters cover the sea. And I can't help but think about when Jesus says the harvest is plentiful, I can't help but ask this question, where do we begin? Where do we begin? It reminds me of uh, the routine. You parents know what I'm talking about. After dinner, that 
terrible, horrible, horrendous routine that you have to do to get the kids in bed? Right, yeah, can I get a oh yeah? Oh yeah, okay, how early can they go to bed tonight? Okay, five o'clock you have dinner, 5.30, whatever your family's routine is, then it's like, here we go again. Cleaning the kitchen, cleaning the dining room table, wrestling them down for a bath. My girls hate it when I give them a bath because apparently I get the water in their eyes and the soap and it's just, they like turn into these terrible, terrible creatures. Just screaming bloody murder. Monica's like, everything okay? I'm like, yeah, they're just sitting here screaming at me. Um, so... Get them washed, get them cleaned, brush their teeth, do the medicine, get them in their pajamas and they're wrangling. For some reason, they have to move so much when you try and put their pajamas on, on them. But then comes like the most dreaded part of the moment um, is when they, we have, have to have them clean their rooms. Yeah, it's tough. You see, my girls don't nap anymore. We still have rest time though. Mo- Monica, she throws them in their rooms, close the door, you're there for two hours, good luck. And Jerry, my oldest, when she's done, she loves rest time, is what we call it. Um, but when she's done, you go into her room, it looks like an atomic bomb went off. I mean, there's Barbies and Barbie accessories and shoes and dresses and books everywhere. You cannot see her floor. It's all over. And she has this thing called her secret drawer. And she has these little knickknacks from everything, like an acorn and a rock. And she knows that that's where they're supposed to go. And when she cleans up her room, or I've cleaned up her room for her, and she comes in and she sees something in the wrong place, she goes, Daddy. Daddy. Because I don't know where anything goes. But we put her in a room. Jerry, clean your room. We're putting Chandler to bed. And we come back. Jerry has done nothing. She's just sitting in her room, staring at the same toy, distraught. Because she knows this is a ton of work. I mean, I gotta clean up all of this. And she looks at me with those beautiful little brown eyes. Gets the lip going a little bit. Somehow she gets a, it trembles. I don't know how she does that. Daddy, can you help me, please? Oh yeah, honey, I can help you. Whatever you want, girl, let's go. And so I'm like, okay, you take care of the Barbies. You put them in this box and I'll take care of the books and put them on the bookshelf. And we start attacking that room. She has me twisted right around here, doesn't she? But Jerry knows this intrinsic truth of Matthew 9, and it's this. You need more workers to work a bountiful harvest. Like many hands make light work. We were at a conference a couple years ago, all the ministers, and this pastor named Oscar Mariu from Nairobi Chapel preached a sermon about this text. And he said, the problem is, we always think the problem is the harvest. The harvest is the problem. The world is the problem. It's so hard. It's so hostile. It's humongous. Like, we're never, ever going to reach the whole harvest. He says, but that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said the harvest is what? Say it again. The harvest is? Say it with gusto. The harvest is? but the workers are few. See, the problem's not with the harvest. The harvest is there for the taking. Talk about the, the, the brokenness and, 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 and the hurt and the pain and the habits and the hangups and the suffering and the shame in our world. It's all there. This opportunities, this, this brokenness where people are, are desperately yearning for good news. The harvest is plentiful. No, no, the problem's we ain't got enough workers. The workers are few. 
Think about being the disciples, seeing Jesus teaching these powerful messages for three years and healing all these diseases and sicknesses and casting out demons and then appearing to them after he dies on the cross, rises from the dead, and their 12 number goes down to 11 because Judas betrays him. And they stand before him and he says, go make disciples of all the nations. And they're like, that's a big harvest, Jesus. We ain't complete right now. Like there used to be 12, now 11. We got less workers than we started out with. But they go anyway, and they go and they transform Jerusalem, and then they work that harvest field, and they transform Judea and Samaria, and then they go to the ends of the known world of the Roman Empire, and they reach a guy named Saul, who was a persecutor of Christians, and he gives his life to the Lord, and he's transferred from, from a persecutor to a pastor, and Saul becomes Paul, and he begins to plant churches all over the known world, and he plants a church in a city called Corinth. This place was messed up. This church was fragile. They sat at the base of a mountain where this temple for Aphro- the goddess Aphrodite was. And they had these prostitutes and these temple prostitutes that would come down. They had this major standing in society. It was a messed up church. So much so he wrote two letters to the church. Let me help you be workers in your harvest field. Let's deal with the sexual ethic that you're wrestled through. Let's deal with the division where you have some people using these gifts and those gifts. And, and they're not getting that. It's all about love. And then... He writes a second letter, 2 Corinthians 5. And man, I had a different passage to preach this week, but the Lord led me to this. And so we changed, we made a turn. Sorry, Sunday school teachers. And when you ask, when you look at this bountiful harvest and you ask, where do we begin? I think you begin right here. These words that he gave the church in Corinth, I think these are our words we need to hear today. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14. It says this, for Christ's love compels us as workers for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died and he died for all he died for everyone is there anybody not included in that word all no that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again friends I believe that if we're going to be truly workers for the harvest field we must be compelled by the love of Christ Like after this sermon, my hope, my prayer is not that you feel any kind of guilt or shame. I don't want you to leave away thinking, that preacher said, shame on you for not sharing your faith with others. Please don't hear that. Feel guilty, be afraid. or or, If we are motivated by anything other than the love of Christ, we're gonna miss the boat. We're gonna go for the wrong reasons with the wrong motives in the wrong way. And it won't stick. But when we're compelled by the love of Christ, it changes everything. This really hit me uh, hard when I went to a, a conference with another, uh, a number of years ago. It was a discipleship conference. And they divided us all into small groups for the week. And I was with this group of uh, men and women that I love and that I respected. And there was one of the men there that I just has become a father figure to me, a friend, a mentor. He supported me in ways, been generous to me and my family, has encouraged us, has come alongside us. And I just, I admire um, the living daylights out of this guy and respect him and love him so much. And we were studying the story of the prodigal son. So Taylor talked about last week, the father having two sons, a young son takes his inheritance and goes and spends it on wild living. And, the, and when he comes back, the father runs out and meets him and forgives him and the older son's mad and he won't come in for the party and the older son is furious and the father has to go out to him too. You need the father goes out to both sons because they're both lost. They both miss the boat. 
And the question in the group was this, who do you relate to? Who do you identify with? And this man just broke down because his sons, they both have rejected the faith, walked away, don't believe in a heavenly father who loves them. And he just began weeping. He said, I'm the father because those are my boys. And friends, this compassion welled up inside of me, this love for my friend, this man that I love so much, for his sons that I can't even explain. And I just started weeping. Not because I felt any guilt or shame of anything that I've not done or done in the past. I would do anything to help those two men come back to Jesus. I would sacrifice everything. Not out of shame or guilt, but because I love their dad. And do you realize that our Heavenly Father, every person that's one of those 7 billion people in the world, every one of those 260,000 people around Joplin, they are your father's kids. He knit them together in their mother's womb. Each one of them are fearfully and wonderfully made and his heart aches that they don't know his love. And our hearts should break for the things that breaks our father's heart, not out of guilt or shame or anything like that. It should break because we love our father. With all of our being and what he cares about, we care about. You see this, where do we begin when the, as workers for the harvest? We must be compelled by the love of Christ. And maybe you're like, okay, Si, I'm following you. Like I'm praying before I hit the floor and I'm praying for divine appointments to see people in need. And I'm praying um, today to, pre to prepare to share my story, my brokenness with others. And I'm ready. And I'm asking the Lord to change my heart, to give me compassion. And I want to be compelled by the love of Jesus. So where do I begin? What do I do? Like, where do I start when I go out into the harvest field? Look at what he says in the next couple of verses. He says this, so from now on, this is the instructions to the church in Corinth, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. Friends, this is the gospel. Like, this is where you start. This power of the good news of Jesus, that he takes dead things and he makes them alive. You agree with that? Amen. He takes old things and makes them new. He takes blind eyes and he opens them up so people can now see. He takes every sin, every piece of your rebellion, every evil and injustice in the world, and he takes our flesh, the fact that we continue consistently over and over again to make decisions that hurt ourselves and those around us. Can I get an oh yeah? Can I get a yeah, that's me? Can I get a yeah, I, I keep on doing that too? And he takes all of that union with sin that we have. We're married to sin. And he kills it on the cross. He divides it. It's a divorce from sin. So that we can be wedded to this new life where Jesus rises from the dead. We now have access to that kind of power. Every single one of those of you who are Christ followers, that's the power of the gospel that you walk out of these doors with. You don't go by yourself. You are not small. You are not insecure. You are not insignificant. But you are empowered by the power of the gospel. Dallas Willard in his book... Um, uh, divine Conspiracy, he talks about uh, living, growing up years ago in southern Missouri, 
where they didn't have any electricity. And their farms that they lived on, they had kerosene lamps, and everything was designed to work without electricity. And they didn't have AC, so they opened up the windows. They didn't have a furnace, so they had a fireplace. Okay, they didn't have outlets. They, didn't, they couldn't turn on the toaster and toast bread. It's just no, that's not what they had. But then the Rural Electrification Administration, the REA, came to town, and they extended their power lines into the areas of these farms. And Dallas Willard says it so beautifully in his book. He says, the gospel of the REA was this, repent for electricity is at hand. I love that. Because when Jesus showed up on the scene, his gospel, his good news, before he died on the cross and rose again, his gospel was this, repent, change of mind, change of behavior, change of direction for the kingdom of God, the power of God, the presence of God is at hand. It's accessible to everyone. You see, those farmers can make a decision. Are we gonna alter our entire lives around the reality that we can now have access to the power of electricity? Like, they didn't have it all set up for electricity. They needed to change everything. They needed to put light bulbs in. They needed to get outlets in their houses. They needed to put an AC and a furnace system. And they could have, if they did those things, they could then have access to the power. But it caused, it needed a repentance, a change, a turn, a 180. Some wouldn't do it. Friends, when you go into the harvest field, repent for the power of God is at hand. Like, it's accessible to you. Where do you begin? Man, be compelled by the love of Christ. Be reconciled through the death of Christ. And here's this last piece I see in this. We're committed as co-workers with Christ for the harvest field. Look at what he says here. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation, the message that we now, through the death and resurrection of Jesus, can bring everybody back to their heavenly father, everybody back to their creator, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. Wow. God makes his appeal to the world through us. As his, chapter six, as God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. See, we're not just workers by ourselves. If you want to be close to the Father, you want to be close to the Son, close to the Holy Spirit, guess where they are at? They're in the harvest They're working the harvest field. And if you want to grow close to the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, guess where you will end up being too? In the harvest. Growing, maturing. As a co-worker, you're not working for them, you're working with them. There's this parable called the parable of the orange tree by Dr. John White, written in the 1970s. And it's so powerful, I'm gonna share it with you today. It goes something like this. I had a dream, and in the dream, I was driving along the road in the roads in Florida among the orange groves. And I drove for miles and miles and miles and saw lines and lines of these orange groves, of these orange trees with these full, beautiful pieces of fruit hanging on those orange trees. And as I drove for miles and miles and miles and hours and hours and hours, something deep within my soul disturbed me and it was this, that I had not seen one worker in the harvest field. Well, as I took a turn around a road, there was a sign that read, leaving neglected county, entering home county. And as I passed the sign, everything changed. Home County was filled with the same orange trees, but it was filled also with houses and neighborhoods with white picket fences. 
And thousands of people and cars on, on bikes were walking and heading all in the same direction. And I saw them, and they were all dressed to the nines and asked them, is this a holiday or something? And they said, it's Orange Day. It's the day we go pick orange trees. Yet what was fascinating to him was that all of them were passing all of these orange trees. No one was picking any. And they all came to this one orange tree and there were chairs set up around the orange tree and, and, and there were ushers ushering them to the, to the right place to sit down and, and there was music playing and they had a band play and they all sang some songs about orange picking. They all had their manuals, how to pick orange trees. And they had a guy get up and he opened up the manual and he began teaching about what it means to be orange pickers and orange trees. And at the end of their time together, he walked over with a basket to the one orange tree. They were all circled around and he reached up and he pulled one orange off the tree, put it in the basket and everyone erupted into applause. And the man was so confused by the scene. It's like, well, what's that... Are we done? They all started getting up and going back to their homes. They said, yeah, we picked our orange off the orange tree. He said, what about all these other orange trees and all these orange groves? They said, well, we got to pick all the fruit off of this one first before we go there. Well, what about, it just was stunned. Like, I mean, there's so many of us. Let's all just start going. If we all take an orange tree, they said, well, it's, too, it's, more, it's more difficult than that. That's why we have to learn from the manual, learn how to do it right. One person was exuberant and excited about the day. He said, why are you so excited? And they said, well, because we just paid off all the debt on our chairs. We don't owe anything on our equipment. And as he left that day, this is how Dr. White ends the parable. The sun was almost setting in my dream and growing tired of the noise and activity all around me. I got in the car and began to drive back again along the road I had come. Soon, all around, me again were the vast and empty, empty orange groves. But there were changes. Some things had happened in my absence. Everywhere, the ground was littered with fallen fruit. And as I watched, it seemed that before my eyes, the trees began to rain. Imagine that, that thud. Rain, oranges. Many of them lay rotting on the ground. I felt there was something so strange about it all, and my bewilderment grew as I thought of all the people in home county. Then booming through the trees, there came a voice which said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore to raise up workers for his harvest field. And I wakened, for it was only a dream. The harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. Here's my challenge to you this week. Pray for one harvest field. Don't, don't pray for the whole harvest. I mean, you can do that too, yes, but ask the Lord, God, show me one corner of the harvest, one tree, one place that I can put my feet and be a worker with you. You're not going there by yourself. Jesus is already working the harvest. Like he's already there. You're joining in on his work that he is doing, but pray for one harvest field. This is not a program. It's not like a church like, hey, here we have all these programs and things we want you to do. No, just go take a corner of the globe and say, I'm gonna be here, a light in this place and be the hands and feet of Jesus and love people who are in need. Pray for one harvest field. And maybe, maybe choose a field and work it. 
maybe that for you, it is our children's ministry or our middle school, high school, or college students. You realize that they have, they have not chosen to follow Jesus. They are the harvest here in our church. Choose a harvest field and work it. Maybe it's calling up one of our community partners, God's Resort, Life House, Life Choices, or Water Gardens, and saying, hey, how can I be of help? All of them in this season are in dire need of volunteers. Choose a harvest field and work it. And maybe it's your neighborhood, your school. Maybe for you, it's your family. It's your coworkers. Choose a harvest field and work it. Pray for one harvest field this week and go put your feet in there and work it. And who knows, maybe you will be, you'll end up being an answer to that prayer that Jesus prays. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. Let's pray. Lord, we ask for you to send us We don't want to sit by the sidelines and miss out on the great work that you are doing to bring about your kingdom, your kingdom coming, your will being done here on earth that is in heaven. We want to see old made new. We want to see dead come alive. We want to see blind eyes open so that people can see. We want to see addictions broken and and people restored and marriages saved and and kids raised up in homes where people are loved. Every person, every house on every street, Lord, we want to see the knowledge of the Lord fill the whole earth. Father, may we bring you glory and honor, not our church's name, not our name, but may people know you as King and Lord and Savior and friend and may be able to worship you as the faithful one. So Father, send us, raise up workers for the harvest field. May we be workers, send us. We pray all this in your holy name, amen.